0: Uh, Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the inerrancy of it and the infallibility of it, for the absolute authority of it. We thank you that you have given us in the scriptures all the content that we need for life and godliness and by your spirit all the power to live that life. So we come before you. I ask that our hearts would be humbled by you today, that we would long to be fed on your good word, that we our faith would be encouraged, we would be drawn closer to you today, that you would have your way among us, and we thank you, Lord, to Jesus, in your precious name, amen. Jesus writes, beginning at verse 42, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you also must be ready, for if the Son of Man is coming, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour, when you do not think he will. (coughs) Who then is the faithful and prudent slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know and will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, Most of the time the application of scripture is something that, that we have to study out and we have to uh, interpret, we have to meditate on the passage, we have to roll it around and think about it and compare it. Uh, and every once in a while, as we see today, Jesus just comes out and tells us what to do. And that's exactly what he does in verse 42. And in fact, the command is actually the first word in the original language stay awake, therefore. Stay awake, therefore. I don't usually give you Greek terms, it's not all that helpful. But I will with this because stay awake is my name. It's Gregoreo, Gregory. And it means to stay awake, to be vigilant, to be alert, to keep your eyes open and pay attention. As we've been seeing, Matthew chapter 24 and 25, Jesus is answering uh, some questions that his disciples asked. They, They asked back at the beginning of the chapter, when will these things happen? He's been speaking about the end. When will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the age, he answers for the most part in the early part of chapter 24, what are the signs of your coming at the end of the age? We've actually moved beyond those passages now. In verse 36, he answers the question of when by saying, no one knows. You don't know, the angels don't know, only God knows. Just the Father in heaven knows. And now he urges us in in the passages that remain all the way through chapter 25, verse 30, to be ready, to be ready. And his that command of readiness today is to be alert, be awake. He's causing us to look back at the previous passage with the word therefore, where he spoke about the days of Noah. As in the days of Noah were, or as the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. Jesus describes the apathy and the willful ignorance of the world at that time. The same apathy and willful ignorance will be present in the world at the end of this age, when final judgment is right about to take place. About 4,500 years ago, Noah alone was a preacher of righteousness. Noah... Noah's faith in Yahweh didn't appear out of thin air. If you will take the genealogies of, of Genesis chapter 5, pay attention to the, the years given. You'll see that Noah was the 10th generation from Adam. When Noah was born, Adam and Seth had died, but his Adam's grandson Enosh was still alive. Enoch had been taken by the Lord at the age of 365. But the rest of Noah's ancestors were alive from Enosh all the way through his own father. So Noah heard about the creation and the fall and and Cain and Abel from Noah's grands or Adam's grandson Enosh from his great-great great 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 grandfather who is still alive. But as time went on, that knowledge breaks, that knowledge drifts away. And Noah alone is found righteous by the Lord. He found favor with the Lord. Noah knew what Yahweh would reveal to Moses more than a 1,000 years later in Exodus 34. Yahweh passed by in front of Moses, and he introduces himself this way. Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, and yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. No one knew this. How he knew it, we don't know, other than to say he knew it through his his ancestors, and he believed it, and he preached this righteousness. He preached to the people of his time, God, our creator, is gracious and compassionate, and if you will repent of your sins and trust him, he will forgive you. He will restore you. But if you ignore that, you ignore it at his own peril because he won't leave the guilty unpunished. He won't simply ignore sin. Sin has to be addressed. But as I said, by the time of Noah's life, virtually the rest of all of the rest of mankind had long since drifted into apathy, which became willful ignorance, which then turned to wickedness and tremendous evil. Genesis 6.5 says, Yahweh saw that the evil of man was great on the earth and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Noah alone had stayed awake. Noah alone had continued in righteousness. In spite of the pressures of the age, in spite of the spirit of the age, Noah is like the, the... the tree standing out in the middle of the plain by itself he knew and he believed and he preached God's loving kindness and justice but tragically his faithful preaching fell on sleep deafened ears and then we'll skip a long time of history and come to our time and we can look back the last 2,000 years and see that there hasn't been just one preacher of righteousness but millions Every faithful Christian is ultimately a preacher of righteousness. Some of us are called vocationally to do this. We do this for a living. We enter into uh, ministry in in one way or another. Some full-time, as I have. Others are bivocational or unpaid completely. But preachers of righteousness is a title that belongs to every Christian, every person who believes in Jesus Christ and trusts in him who prays for their unsaved family and neighbors, who attempts to keep the gospel at the forefront of life. We we share today in common with Noah the message of the judgment to come and the need for repentance. Human sin is not stopped. The flood did not wash away human sin. It did not purify human nature. It cleansed the earth. It gave a, a, a second start for mankind but mankind has fallen into the same pattern we have something though that noah did not have and could not have imagined and that's the good news of the gospel of jesus christ noah could not have comprehended that the god who created all things who was gracious and compassionate and willing to forgive would himself take on human flesh live a sinless life according to his own rules and law Die as a substitute for sinners on the cross and rise in victory over sin and death. Noah could not have comprehended that. He couldn't have understood it. And so we can make sinners a promise that Noah could never make. The sins of God's people have already been satisfied by the Son of God on the cross. Turn from your sins and trust in Jesus and he will forgive you, save you from the judgment to come, give you eternal life and join you with himself forever. Don't clean yourself before you go. Don't make any preparation. Don't root through the rooms of your life and get rid of the things that you think would be displeasing. Just stop where you are and turn. Just stop where you are and turn. Burdened, heavy, guilty, sinful, powerless over the sins of your life. I just read a report that a psychology researcher has determined after years of study that there's no such thing as free will. That no human being ever makes a decision that is free of of any kind of pressure or influence. Everything that we do is affected and determined by something. We know that we don't have the ability to just stop sinning. And God doesn't require that we do that. He just calls us to turn and to believe. Unfortunately, our world is no more inclined than Noah's to hear or value that message. And I can tell you, and I know that those of you who know Christ know that this is true. It so often feels that we're just preaching into the wind. We share the gospel and it seems to go nowhere. We we sow the seeds of the gospel as Jesus talks about in the first part of Matthew 13, and so many of those seeds just bounce off the pavement. Others seem to take root briefly, but then they're choked out by the cares of the world. And it seems to be a rare privilege and pressure, a rare privilege and pleasure rather, to see those seeds take root to produce lasting fruit, where there's actually a, a long-term change in life so that we can look at that person that we've known and say, I can see that you're different. Even if you don't know when you trusted in Christ, even if, if you don't know the, the moment that, that that flip was, that flip was switched, that, that, that switch was flipped in your heart, I can see it. I can see that you're not the way that you were. And because of that, because it's so difficult, because we feel like we're preaching into the wind, we can be tempted to lose the urgency of the gospel And to to fall into what Jeremiah and Ezekiel talk about in terms of the, the plague of smooth words, of easy words, of soft words. Don't preach hard things to us. Don't prophesy hard things to us. Give us easy words. Give us pleasant words. We can be tempted to compromise the gospel and drift off into a peaceful, happy slumber where we think things aren't that bad. The world's a good place. Enjoy life. God is on everyone's side. We begin on a narrow road, grateful to be on it. But that road can slowly and quietly become broad without us noticing. And tragically, that broad road is perched at the top of a crumbling cliff. It won't last. It won't stay It's no exaggeration to say that virtually every major denomination has either lost its way or is losing its way. And it's because the pressures of the world are so enormous. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus set an alarm bell ringing to keep us awake, stay awake. In verse 42 to 44, he tells us about the need for vigilance. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. I want to, I want to step you through the three things that Jesus says about the time. In verse 36, he says, Of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, not the Son of Man, not Jesus in his human state, but only God in heaven. Then he says in verse 42, you don't know the day or the hour when he is coming. And he says in verse 44, if I can paraphrase it, you don't know the day or the hour when he's not coming. We all know the people who've attempted to predict the second coming of Christ. Harold Camping was a man who did that several times. False teachers have done that. But, you know, some, some godly, well-intentioned men have done that too. In spite of the fact that Jesus says no one knows, they say, oh, I know. And they've, they've all been wrong, every single one of them. But what Jesus says in verse 44 isn't just don't predict when I will come. He says in verse 44, don't predict when I won't come. I'd be a fool to stand up here and say, Jesus is going to return this year, 2023, on Christmas Day. I'd also be a fool to say, Jesus cannot come this year on Christmas Day. He can come at any time. We just need to leave the wind completely out of it. Could he come today? Yes. That's the only thing we can say. And that's why he says, you need to stay awake. You need to stay vigilant and alert. And he gives us this little parable in verse 43. It's a very brief parable. But that parable makes it clear that just as thieves don't make appointments before they rob your house, he's not going to give us some kind of a clue. The only recourse the the homeowner has is to stay up, is to stay awake. I mean, I'm I'm originally from California. I'm not from Nebraska. And so maybe in Nebraska, people are so nice that thieves will drop a card in the mail and say, by the way, next Tuesday morning at 2 a.m., if you hear the glass break, don't worry about it. It's just me. (laughs) But I imagine in Nebraska, if they did that, the homeowner would get up at 1, make a pot of coffee, get at the shotgun, and just wait. So Jesus says, you don't know. You don't know when I am coming, and you don't know when I'm not coming. You can't say it's going to be here for sure, and you can't say it won't be here. That should guide our eschatology, by the way. It's one of the reasons that I'm premillennial and pre-trib, is we don't know when. Post-millennial, postmillennialism says, couldn't be today. Jesus says, you don't know that. You can say that, but it, you don't know that. So we must stay awake because of our ignorance. We don't know when he's coming. We just need to stay awake. Now, what's the point of staying awake? Is it so that we don't miss the second coming? Well, I invite you to read the the verses in, in Revelation 19 that describe the second coming and tell me whether you think somebody could just sleep through that. Is it so that we don't miss the rapture? There are views that say the only Christians who will be raptured are those who are actively waiting for the rapture, which is absurd. What about those who are asleep? What about those who are driving, cleaning a baby's diaper? We can't be thinking about it all the time. We're not thinking about it all the time. What is the point of staying awake well jesus tells us why in the parable that follows he tells us why to stay awake and he tells us what it means to stay awake who then is the faithful and prudent slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. That's the the faithful and prudent slave, the faithful and wise slave. But if that evil slave, another slave, says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. By the way, we we know that Jesus is not just talking about little daily practices because he gets into judgment language at the end of this. It doesn't matter how bad a slave was in Jesus' day. If the master caught him disobeying, he didn't first cut him into pieces and then put him in a place where there's misery. Cutting into pieces kind of puts everything else to an end but not in terms of eternal judgment. That's a picture of destruction and then eternal torment. So two slaves, one who is faithful and prudent or wise and one who is evil and we could say foolish. The faithful and wise slave obeyed his master's command. He was faithful because he submitted himself to the master's will in the master's absence as though the master was there the whole time. That's what Dakota did last week. When I got a hold of him and said, I'm not going to make it, can you kind of spearhead everything? He stepped into that as though I were here, didn't you? Yeah. Faithful servant. Thank you. The master is wise, or the, the slave is wise because he understands the master's authority. He knows that one day he'll be held accountable. He knows that one day he'll have to give an answer how he served. He knows that even though the master is not absent, the master is not ignorant. The master is absent, but the master is not ignorant. He knows what he's doing. It's clear to the master. The evil slave, on the other hand, disobeys his master's command. He's evil because by failing to obey, he did the opposite. The master had put his, his other slaves basically underneath this man so the man could take care of them and meet their needs give them their food at the proper time instead of doing that he looked for reasons to disobey and please himself and lived abusively toward them he violated the master's character in his life he threw himself into a way of living that was utterly contrary to the master's character and he says to himself, my master's not coming back for a long time. Linda and I watch a, a guy with a YouTube channel. His name's Tom Scott. He's an English guy, and he's just kind of interesting. And he goes and does different things. He looks at different things, and uh, he's kind of quietly nerdy. He's, he's not really outlandish. It's not a lot of jumping and screaming and shouting. It's just very well thought out and interesting topics and things that you just wouldn't otherwise know. Well, last year, he he said in, in at the opening of one of his videos that he has had a genuine psychological phobia of roller coasters even the thought of roller coasters made him sick to his stomach the sound of one was enough to send him to a panic attack and he said so i decided six months ago planning out this year's episodes that i would make myself face that fear by actually riding roller coasters and back back then six months ago i said that's a problem for future me well today i'm future me and now it's a problem and it was a really good episode This slave has said, my master's not coming for a long time. I'll deal with that when I get there. That's a problem for future me. And he never thought that there would be a future to face. And that's why he's foolish. Jesus says the master will return. And blessed is the slave whom the master finds so doing when he comes. Blessed is the slave whom the master finds obedient and faithful when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. This is not a promise to Christians that if we're faithful in the little thing that we do, God will give us authority over everything. There's only so many everythings. We can't all be in charge of everything. The point here is the comparison between the small, common, daily basic faithful obedience that we carry out and the enormity and magnificence of the rewards to come, which which incredibly outweigh our obedience, incredibly outweigh our faithfulness, the little daily things that we do that are so small, many of us would look at them and say that that's not even something to be rewarded. This guy is just giving food at the right time to his fellow slaves There's nothing praiseworthy in that. And by the way, the slave doesn't do more. He only does what he was required to do. And yet, the reward for that is enormous. On the other hand, the evil slave finds his master coming at a day when he doesn't expect him and at an hour which he does not know. This is not a happy, blessed slave. This is a miserable man who's filled with weeping and gnashing of teeth because he's been caught in his wickedness and sin. He's willfully ignored everything that he knew to be true about the master and seems to be utterly shocked, perhaps, when the the master returns. And he actually is held accountable. Now, these two slaves are not pictures of two different kinds of Christian. Jesus is not saying, there's two kinds of genuine Christian. There's a the kind of genuine Christian who by his obedience earns eternal life. And there's a the kind of genuine Christian who by his disobedience loses his salvation and goes to hell. This is a picture of all mankind. Jesus in this entire chapter is dealing with a global scope and an eternal scope. God is the creator of all things. Every human being is made in his image. We owe him our allegiance. We owe him our obedience, and our worship. We owe him. He's given us his law, and his law is not hard. Think about the Ten Commandments as an excellent summary of of his law. Worship God and God alone. That's not hard since there's only one God. Don't make graven images to worship. God is spirit. Not flesh. There's nothing that we can make that would even begin to depict who he is. So don't make a graven image to worship. Don't take his name in vain. Don't use it as a curse. Don't don't claim to be something that you're not. Remember his Sabbath. Back then, it was remembering the day of rest that he initiated on the seventh day after creating for six days when he rested on the seventh day. We today have Christ. Remember what Jesus has done for you and find your rest in him. Trust in him. Let him be your peace. That's not hard. Honor your parents. If your parents raise you to honor them, that's not superhuman. It's not hard to not murder. It's not hard to not commit adultery. It's not hard to not steal. And we'll just skip lying, right? it's not hard to tell the truth, even though we we so often don't. Covening is the difficult one. Covening is that internal thing, that impulse that we have within our heart that, that longs and lusts for something that is not ours. And it simply shows the depth of our depravity and our sin nature, but none of the commands God gave are hard. He doesn't hand us a a garden trowel and a pair of sneakers and say, go conquer the Soviet Union by yourself. He doesn't say, go pick up a car in your bare hands and move it across a parking lot. He doesn't say, hold your breath underwater for 20 minutes. He doesn't command us to memorize the Oxford English Dictionary in a weekend and recite it perfectly. Nothing that he's commanded is hard. It's impossible for us because of our sin nature, but none of those commands are hard. But most of mankind is simply cast off his chains and refused. So genuine Christians are those who remain faithful, who grow in wisdom, not that we live sinlessly, not that we live perfectly, not that we've got perfect understanding of everything. And it's the people of the world who live foolishly and wickedly, they ignore God's word, they deny him his glory, they refuse to worship him, they treat one another abysmally and indulge in their sinful desires, and that's who the gospel is meant for, is those who are trapped in that sin, that we can say, but it, you don't have to live in, you don't have to live in those chains and you don't have to live in fear, you can be freed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we bring it home, what does it mean then to stay awake? It simply means to continue to live faithfully because Jesus could return at any time. Early on in the life of the church, the apostles set the pattern of a normal, faithful Christian life. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine, that's the scripture, and to the fellowship, that's the church, the body of Christ, to the breaking of bread, that's regularly remembering the Lord's table and its meaning, which is the most important part of the Lord's table. It's not simply going through communion as an exercise, but actually taking that as a regular reminder of our sin and our need for a savior and God's provision of a savior for myself and for you. And to the prayers, personal and corporate prayer in worship. As we live in Christ, The Holy Spirit is active in our lives. He sanctifies us through his word. He empowers us to serve. He produces the fruit of the Spirit, which is the character of Christ in us. Staying awake means living in the light of Christ's first and second advent. In his first, he made atonement for sinners and obtained righteousness for our justification. And in the second, he will come to personally rule his kingdom and establish the eternal state. Staying awake does not mean living some kind of weird monastic lifestyle, but living where we live, doing what we do, as long as it isn't contrary to his word. The vast majority of Christians over the centuries have not quit their jobs to go do something else, to go into vocational ministry. Just a tiny, tiny fraction have gone into pastoral ministry or into missions or some kind of vocational Christian work. The the majority simply do their jobs as Christians. Paul says it's the Lord Christ whom you serve. Do all of your work as unto the Lord. He will reward you. Staying awake means that we guard against temptations to drift into apathy and disinterest. This is hard because the world is hard. This is hard because we have such a good message to share and Jesus has made such a difference in our lives and we we see people in their needs and the greater their needs, the more we long for them to know and believe, but we can't give them that. We can only tell them. There's some of us who find evangelism difficult because we're shy, because we don't know how to start, but I think the majority of people who find evangelism different, difficult realize that they don't have the ability to change somebody by their words. I wish I had the formula that I could give you where you could share the gospel with somebody in two minutes and they would be converted. There's, there's no magic words. There's not a pill that you can take. There's not a Bible translation or a tract that will make all the difference in the world. It's simply the simple message of the gospel and the hope of the gospel. And then the spirit of God has to enter in and make our words effectual in the life of that person. So in a sense, there's a simple question to ask. Do I look forward to the Lord's return or do I dread it? Do I live as the faithful, prudent slave who longs for the Lord's return because he'll find me doing his will to the best of my ability? Do I look forward to the Lord's return because it means my deliverance? And and the end for all of us of the struggle that we have in this life, just the daily trudge of this life. Or do I dread the Lord's return because I've neglected his will? There's not a Christian in the world who can say that they've daily done the, the will of God. All of us at one point or another who are in Christ can look at a, a point in our lives where we would have said, I would not have wanted Jesus to return then. I would have not have wanted him to come back when I was being unfaithful or when I was being lazy or when I was actively committing an act of sin. I would not have wanted him to come back then. I've known other Christians to say, I want Jesus to come back, but not yet because I haven't had enough life experience. That's a young person thing to do. My apologies to the young, but that's a young person thing to do. You get out, you get married, you start building a family and the world opens up to you and we've all been there. But as you as you move on, as you bury parents and grandparents and friends and as you face other difficulties and other issues, you start thinking, um, no, there's nothing here that would make me not want Jesus to come today. Be better for all if he did. If you dread the Lord's return, stop living in dread. Confess your sin and your apathy. Move on from today. Hebrews 12 gives us this exhortation strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. See, the writer of Hebrews knows that this life is hard. There are things that cause us to trip. There there are plants out there that snag on our spiritual clothing, sins that entangle us. And he says, deal with your life in such a way that you recognize when your hands are weak and you recognize when your knees are feeble And arrange your life in such a way that your hands aren't made weaker. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint. It's hard enough for some people to walk. Physically walk. I've known someone who has had at times great difficulty in walking and and by the, the providence of God lived in a place where walking was almost deadly at times because of broken concrete and rocks and holes and everything that they did was just, it took extraordinary effort. And if it had been within their ability, the wise thing would have to have done would not simply have been to strengthen the legs and the knees. It would have been to smooth the road. Is there something in your road that you're allowing to serve as a pitfall? If your hands are weak, strengthen them in the word. If your knees are weak, strengthen them in the Lord. And at the same time, look at the reality of your daily life and ask, is there something there that isn't necessary that actually makes it harder for me to follow Christ? And put that away. You have the word of God. It's a lamp for your feet and a light for your path. You have the constant help of the spirit. God has by his divine power given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. In Jesus Christ. All this to say that you need nothing more than what he has granted you today. To live faithfully from this day forward. Leave the past in his hands whether it's good or bad, whether your past is marked by sin or marked by good deeds, forget it. Leave it at the blood of Christ. Leave it at the foot of the cross. And from this day forward, look ahead. Set your sight on the horizon that Christ has set for you, whether that's a day from now or a decade from now or 50 years from now. And every day, Keep your eyes forward. Leave the rest under the blood of Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the love that you have in giving us the scriptures so that we know. Would you please strengthen us today and grant us your peace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you'd stand with me, let's sing together.